people are looking for help. When an individual struggles with pornography, they often turn to their church leader for that help. How does a leader help a person overcome the shame of this issue and start seeing positive progress? How can a leader help youth to open up about struggles with pornography? What are some lasting, proven tactics that actually make a difference? In order to help, Leading Saints has created the Liberating Saints Library with more than 20 presentations featuring individuals who have a unique perspective or expertise around this topic. Three of those most popular sessions are available to watch now. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747 to start watching now or visit leadingsaints.org liberating. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through various ways, including this very podcast that you're listening to. I hope you subscribe. Maybe leave us a review while you're at it. And I think you'll enjoy the content you find on this podcast. And then jump on over to leadingsaints.org and you'll find thousands of articles dedicated to leadership context as it relates to uh, being a Latter-day Saint. Uh, we have virtual summits that we've done. Check us out on social media and also a, a weekly newsletter that goes out that has unique content you won't find anywhere else. So uh, jump into the Leading Saints world. We're glad to have you. Today I'm in Provo, Utah in a uh, in a church house with Mark Ogletree. How are you, Mark? Great, Kurt. How are you? Good. Now your last name is easy to remember because I'm a big BYU fan and your son gave me a lot to cheer about for many years, right? He did. He gave us a lot to cheer about too. We miss watching him. And he was a walk-on, right? I mean, he was, he wasn't highly recruited per se, and but kind really of. had an impact. It's a kind of a long story, but yeah, he... Uh, he wasn't getting a, getting a lot of looks from BYU at the time. And, and, and that's uh, where he wanted to go? That's where he wanted to go. He was nice. recruited by some other schools, um, Texas Tech and Air Force and a few others. As soon as a lot of them found out that he wanted to serve a mission, oh, that was... that he was committed to that. They kind of dropped their interest. So nice. he was a last-minute, last-scholarship kind of guy oh, that cool. uh, the Bronco gave. And it turned out to be an awesome experience yeah. for him and for us. Nice. And now you're originally from Texas. Is we that are. Right? And you're a convert to the church. I am. Uh, I mean, we could probably go hours about your story, but give us a, a synopsis of your conversion. Yeah, the synopsis was uh, growing up in Texas on my high school baseball team was uh, one other guy, maybe at that time, maybe the only LDS kid in the in the high school. And uh, we, we played high school sports together and uh, became super interested in the church because his family was just outstanding. He was outstanding and... And uh, through that process, met a few other just outstanding, awesome uh, people, and uh, there were there were three of us that all you know became interested in the church, and uh, two of them joined when they were in high school. Twin brothers uh, joined in high school. My parents wouldn't let me; they were quite opposed to it. Oh, a, wow. a great Southern Baptist family, and so I uh, I waited until the summer before I was to start college and was able to join, and then a year later go on a mission. So it just Timing-wise, worked out perfectly. Yeah. And now uh, your day job is you're part of the religion faculty at, at BYU. Is that uh, – at what point did you feel like that's sort of where I want my career to end? Or was it uh, – did you meander for a while? I was definitely a meanderer. I, um, In fact, as I was finishing BYU as a student, I was one of those guys that still wasn't quite sure what they wanted to do mm. and uh, had a, had some options and – but anyway, I remember, I'll never forget going through our commencement exercises and watching some of my professors that I really looked up to, 
uh, in that procession. And I just had the thought, I want to come back here and teach one day for sure. So that was always the plan. Mm. Uh, went ahead and did a master's degree, another master's degree, and then I ended up doing the doctorate. And once I was done with that doctorate, I knew that I wanted to end up back at BYU if I could. So. Nice. And what are the typical classes that you teach? So I teach two classes. I teach the Living Prophets, which is awesome, super fun. And then I, I teach, uh, because of my background in marriage and family, teach a, a class called the Eternal Family, which is now a required class in the religion department. And so every student who comes through BYU needs to take that class. So it's, wow. that's pretty exciting, too. So you see a lot, of, a lot of the student body come through. We do. Wow. We do. That's awesome. And uh, you're currently serving as a stake president here in, in Provo. And it's just, I mean, you were a, a COVID stake president call, right? Exactly. One year ago, this, uh, in fact, maybe even this week uh, or next week, we were called right in the right in the middle of COVID. Wow. Sure. Wow. And, and you told me before, just a handful of people were in the room when uh, that was announced via Zoom, I assume. Right. Most yeah. of our stake had to turn, turn in via satellite or uh -huh. the broadcast system. And so it took us a while to start meeting members of our of our stake, yeah. but it's been awesome. And I'm just curious, like over the last year, like how did you get established in this call or find, find a routine or connect with people? Any, anything come to mind? Yeah, we did. We, in, in fact, that was such a such a pressing thought for us is how are we going to do that, you know, with COVID? And, uh, and so we did, we started to do some activities. We wanted to show our members that we, COVID did not mean that the church had to shut down. Mm -hmm. You know, what we had to do is find ways to, to work with it and to work around it. And so we just started uh, engaging and planning in, uh, planning a lot of activities with our youth. One of the things, Kurt, we decided to do is we wanted ward conferences to last for a month instead of a weekend or oh, a few days. And so that was our way of getting to know each ward or each unit, I should say, in, a, in more of an in-depth way was to spend an entire month with them going on visits, you know, meeting with the youth, meeting with other members, being in their homes. And I think that helped us out a lot too. Nice. So just really getting creative and and uh, in like a month-long ward conference. I mean, that's yeah. something that doesn't isn't in the handbook per se, but right. you have the liberty to, to create. Right. right. Yeah, it was, awesome. it was, it's been wonderful. Nice. We don't know if we can keep that pace up for nine years, <laughs> a month long ward conference, but it was for this first year, it was incredible. Yeah. And um, how would you describe the demographics of your, your stake? I mean, pretty typical Provo, Utah County stake? I would say so. I mean, it's a well-established stake. We've been here for quite a while. A lot of members that live in our stake have lived here for 20 or 30 years, mm -hmm. you know, in the same homes. Uh, those members are getting older and some are leaving, and, and so some younger families are moving in. It's quite eclectic in the sense that, you know, we have a lot of professional people. We have BYU professors. We have educators. We have people that own their businesses. I would say it's quite a successful group of people and very faithful. I mean, they staff the Provo Temple. They work at the MTC. They help help out with, all, you know, with all these BYU uh, student wards in terms of uh, serving in bishoprics and high council. So it's a lot of great, wonderful, faithful people. Yeah. And I'm curious just how the logistics of that work, you know, with uh, the so many student wards, YSA student wards, um, that does the BYU stakes come to you and say, we need 10 guys or, you know, whatever. Is that how it works? Or? Exactly. There's not necessarily a quota, mm -hmm. but I'm a really big believer in it. Mm -hmm. You know, even as a bishop, People will get mad at me sometimes because they felt like half of our ward was serving it oh, yeah. at BYU. But I always felt like that was a blessing to our ward to have people go there and serve in those callings and then come back and be even stronger and have a yeah. great, greater perspective. And so as a stake presidency, we're quite committed to that. And so they come and ask, you know, they come and they'll come and tell us we 
we work with a couple of stakes and they will come and tell us, here's what we need. And we always try to, to find people to get there. And the people who serve in those callings, as you can guess, absolutely love it. Yeah. In fact, there's a neighbor on my street who has harassed me for a year because they were there, got released, and he's like, we have to go back. We have, and anyway, so they're back there again. So, nice. Yeah, and that's a, interesting because everybody experiences sort of that uh, uh, human resource negotiation, I'd call it, where on a ward, it's usually this passive-aggressive battle between the ward and the stake, right? Like, oh, the stake needs a high councilman. Well, don't tell them about brother so-and-so or, you know, like, right. or, or we need to get them, make sure we keep them, right? And I remember just as a bishop trying to get in that mentality of saying, you know, whatever you need, we're here to support the stake. If you need somebody, what a blessing that they'll come back and be more trained, right? But this is even maybe an additional dynamic to that, right? It is, it is. You know, just once again with the MTC, with, I mean, there's so many different places that people can serve around here, yeah. but it's a, it's such a blessing too. You know, we, we came here from Texas and there just aren't those opportunities at all. You mm -hmm. know, we thought it was a rough thing there if, if the state called one of our people to be a seminary, early morning seminary teacher. It was like <laughs> the end of the world. But yeah. here it's it's not uncommon for a lot of our units to have 30 to 40 people serving outside of the of their ward. Yeah, that's awesome. So as we talked about just some different topics we could address, I mean, with your background, your professional background and the work you do at BYU and, and uh, the research you've done and whatnot – we landed on this concept of, you know, understanding and, and really implementing the the role of a bishop or an elders quorum president or whatnot, especially with this recent shift where, you know, there's been more of a emphasis for the bishop to focus on youth. And then hopefully the Relief Society president, the elders quorum president steps up and maybe, you know, addresses some of those uh, other responsibilities that that sometimes dominate the time of the bishop. Right. And so where, where do we be begin with? understanding the, the role of the bishop and really implementing that in an effective way that uh, the work gets done and there's not one man or one woman that's overwhelmed. You know, part of it, I think, Kurt, is, and this is just my opinion, but it's it's really trying to break through some cultural, mm. what do you want to call that? Just some cultural bands that seem to restrict us in some ways and traditional things too. I mean, I... You know, in my entire life as a member of the church, it feels like we've heard the message, you know, getting the elders quorum president involved, yeah. turning things over to the elders Delegate, quorum president. Delegate, right? Yeah. yeah, so the bishop can be with the youth. I mean, we've only heard that message so for so long now. And in President Nelson and our first presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve are really, in my mind, finding a way to make that happen now by, you know, making it such a consistent message, right, mm -hmm. that we hear over and over again. But it's something in my mind that, number one, bishops have to embrace, bishoprics need to embrace. And that's difficult as a bishop, as you know, because you have people knocking on your door constantly, yeah. a lot of adults that, that need help or in a crisis. There's yeah. always something to do. You open that door and there's the lineup, right? You yeah. think, wow, what the? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, um, as I was mentioning a little while ago, it's it's something that we have to train our members hmm. To, to buy into as well. I mean, our, our members need to get used to going to visit the Relief Society president or the Elders Quorum president and understand. I mean, there's so many levels to this because it's not only that, but then it's as leaders, those people, you know, when we put people in those positions now, we have to call an Elders Quorum president that really is a bishop. Hmm. It's not someone who just manages home teaching and helps with moves anymore, but it's <laughs> it's someone that could be the bishop right there on the spot, I think. And so... There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of issues I think that we need to engage in to make this work and run on all cylinders. Yeah, the members, the leaders, everyone. Uh, 
but I think we're getting there. Yeah. So talk to me about as far as like getting the members on board, because I think that's insightful because typically, you know, you may see the adjustments to the handbook and maybe hold a, a leadership meeting, right? Get the leaders in the room and, and train the leaders. But, you know, they may be full aware of what's going on, but it's really a, a more a broader training effort of, of the members. So any any suggestions on maybe how to go about getting the members on board? I love something that Elder Bednar said in a training meeting that I was in a few years ago, and I've always believed it. And it's so funny, but we put so much emphasis on what I'm about to say we probably shouldn't do. But in my mind, every time there's a problem in the church, let's give a talk on it. We need to talk on that, right? <laughs> the members come in late. We, let, we need to talk on that, right? Uh, our youth aren't showing up to mutual. Let's give a talk on that. You know, whatever the issue is, fifth Sunday presentation, whatever, and that's going to solve the problem. And Elder Bednar said, doesn't work. Mm -hmm. He said, the only way that we can make things like this work is we have to be in the homes of the members. We have to be working one-on-one -on -one with the members as, as the Savior would to help to help change some of these paradigms and help, help them work through these challenges. And so in our mind, we're trying to do that as a stake presidency and as a high council. And part of it, I don't want to say we're giving talks because what I'm about to say sounds like, so you're giving talks again, but <laughs> we have spent probably every training meeting with our priesthood leaders the last year talking about this thing. And this is this one issue of transitioning this over to the elders quorum and relief society presidents. It's just been the, the drum that we have beat mm. consistently. And when we meet in their homes, when we meet in, in meetings in their wards uh, over the podium uh, on ministering visits, uh, it's it's the message that we're that we're trying to convey. Yeah. Now we talked sort of like training the members, but now from the perspective of the bishop, because a lot of times it's, I don't know how to say no to these people lining up. I mean, a lot of them are dealing with really heavy um, problems that I feel like I need to address. I can't just you know tell point them in a different direction, right? Everyone is so comfortable. Well, I shouldn't say everyone, but many people are very become very comfortable with their bishop, and they recognize. The bishop has a mantle and they mm -hmm. and they have keys. One of the ways, one of the things we have to do is find a way to elevate an elders quorum president so that they could see those same keys, right? And see mm -hmm. that same spiritual mantle that rests with them. I wish I knew what the answer was on, on how to exactly do that, you mm -hmm. know. But um anyway, that I think that's part of the process. Um Kurt, ask me that one more time. I had a second thought as you oh, yeah, as you yeah. said that. So as far as like with the helping the bishops better, you know, uh, delegate or, or move things off, you know, with this constant focus on making sure that we're not overburdening the bishop. Because like. everyone wants to see the bishop, right? right yeah. And so, yeah. and a part of it for us has been, you know, once again, helping the bishop really embrace their role, you know, with the youth, you know, and helping them really understand you are the young men's president. You are part of the young, young women's group here. And that really is where you need to spend your time. And so, as I, as a bishop, had to tell some members, look, I'm not, we are not turning you away. I mean, there's, I would never want any member to feel that way. Mm -hmm. But we also want them to know of what the focus is, because there's a lot of things that our members come to us with as a bishop that they probably, they may not need to. And I, I know that may sound a little bit harsh to say, but there have been times that I've met with members as a bishop and I've thought, I wonder if I would ever go to a bishop with this. I don't, I don't know if I would. So mm -hmm. part of that teaching the concept of spiritual self-sufficiency, or there are certain times that we need to see a bishop, and maybe there are times that we don't. We know that 
you know, I thought a lot about this, but, you know, bishops get a lot of phone calls that say things like, hey, now what time is state conference? Or mm -hmm. do you have so-and-so's number? Or, you know, uh, you know, things along that lines. I can remember... I've seen bishops making copies of programs for sacrament meeting yeah, yeah. and picking people up to give them rides to church. And and we we as members have to find a way to really sustain the bishop in a way that, you know, the, that he can get to where he needs to be with, with those youth. But I don't think he's going to turn too many of those adults away, but he may get to a point where he feels really comfortable with someone. I remember meeting as a bishop with a family that just had some financial challenges. And I said, you know what, there is an incredible brother in our ward who's a financial planner who would love to meet with you guys. And he is, he has so many more skills than I do in this area. Yeah. And they were, they were happy to meet with him and he, he was a blessing to their family. But I think we have to start thinking more that way about it instead of a bishop thinking, I have to absorb everything yeah. that comes my direction. Yeah. And what would you say in terms of like, uh, you know, the repentance process obviously is the, the keys the bishop holds. That's uh, a lot of, you know, falls, a lot of that falls on his plate. Um, any, and maybe we sort of step out of this specific topic and speak more in general, like as far as the, the bishop's role, like what they should consider. Cause I remember as a bishop, you know, we're, we're 16 weeks into this and I don't know what else to tell them. I've shared all those scriptures I typically share. And, and, and sometimes maybe there's opportunity to delegate at least some of that, um, engagement or support elsewhere. But what are your thoughts as far as that transgression repentance process? I mean, the bishop is definitely the common judge, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's one of his key, a key aspect of his calling. So he can't give that away. But there are things I think that he could do that, that uh, would help him and the person that he's working with a little bit more. For example, in my world, I'm I think there's some great counselors out there that can really help people. And I recognize as a bishop so quickly there is no possible way I can meet with 20 members this week or even 10 yeah. and spend an hour with every one of them because there's 400 other things to do. Right. And so I would meet with people initially and get the ball rolling for a little while and and um, get some momentum with them. And, and then I would feel like, you know what, we can turn you over to this professional counselor that can really help you with that. And if it works the right way, that counselor is calling me every week and giving me a little report. That doesn't happen all the time, as you yeah, know. Yeah. There's also other members of the ward that we can, uh, you know, that, that could help help in some ways, especially if it's not once that transgression's cleared up and they're moved on, but they need some just support and help. I think great bishop counselors can can help with some of that. Relief Society sisters, you know, ministering brothers and sisters. They're, you know, outside of the transgression. The members can really support a bishop that way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anything else as far as the um, the the role of the bishop uh, that, that we haven't mentioned yet? Maybe in the context of of serving youth, or because you know maybe they do create that that space, but now they don't know how to fill it with the youth, other than just sort of trying to be present at different activities. I think so many bishops. Uh, there are bishops that are very comfortable with the youth; it just comes natural to them. But then we know that there. are are those who don't feel that comfort at all. It's it's very uh, challenging for them. But for me, you know, being with the youth was always like therapy. I mean, mm -hmm. that was it was like you're with the adults for a while. You walk into the bishop's office where the priest quorum is that day, and it's like you could just sit down and just relax for a minute and, yeah. and, and be healed by the youth. But uh, here's what I would say. Um, I think every bishop has been called of God, no question about that in my mind, and has a mantle. And there's a reason 
they've been called. And they have gifts and talents and abilities that a lot of people don't have. At least the Lord will magnify, mm. will magnify those. And so I think bishops need to engage for sure. And so in my mind, a bishop should speak to the youth as often as he can. Even if he's not well-versed in speaking, the Lord will, will elevate him, right? And so bishops' youth discussions. I'm surprised sometimes when I talk to bishops and they're like, now what is what is that, right? And that's mm. an opportunity on a monthly basis to be with the youth and to share what's on his mind, but also to get, have a discussion with the youth on what's on their mind and connect with them. I wanted to be, as a bishop, involved in the planning of all the activities because I wanted to be able to be there. Mm. And I knew if I wasn't in the room and they planned a high adventure or something and I couldn't be there, I didn't ever want that to happen. And so, you know, the Bishop's Youth Council, uh, you know, presidency meetings as a bishop or in a bishopric, I, we always were there. We wanted to be there for that. Every youth activity on Wednesday night. I remember one time years ago, uh, we had a bishop in a ward that we lived in that just didn't come to Wednesday night activities. And I remember, uh, we had a an athletic type of activity with our priest quorum that night, and the idea was if they had ran, if they had done this five mile run, that we would all get ice cream afterwards or whatever. But I remember taking the youth into this ice cream place, and there was our bishop and his family, you know, eating ice cream. But I remember thinking, what he he's he's missed out on one of the most incredible blessings of being with a bishop, and that's connecting with our youth, yeah. you know. So. Any, any opportunity to be with those youth, I think is that's where his influence is going to be the most profound. And yeah. it's one of the, I think it's one of the greatest blessings of, of the call for sure is, is being with those youth, being energized by them, feeling their strength and their power, preparing them for missions and marriage. And it's a highlight. And so I think uh, for, for bishops who struggle with that, it's an opportunity to, to find out how the Lord can elevate them and because he wants the Lord wants them to do that, and he'll make them equal to that task, even if they feel they don't have gifts and talents in that area. He will elevate them in ways where where they'll be able to find some way to connect, and yeah. they'll make a difference. Did you have you know thinking back to your time as as a bishop, were there any routines or uh, you know you have the typical youth interviews that are sort of you get in that that schedule with those, but any other routines or habits or approaches that you did to to engage with the youth or connect with them? One of the great blessings of our life, and I say our, I count my wife in with this uh, as well, but w I was able to be the bishop when our kids were all teenagers. So that was hmm. four and a half years in Texas and then another six years oh, wow. here, in, here in Provo, two different two different times. But that was the span in our life where our, our kids were teenagers. And so it was super cool in my mind. We wanted it to be so good because our own kids were in there. So we had some skin in the game, you know. But I would say routines for sure were um, we always we always had a bishop's youth discussion every month. That was a great way to way to connect. Uh, we had an ironic priesthood committee meeting every month and a training meeting with all of our youth leaders. I always I always believed when I had the youth leaders in a room, and I, when I say youth leaders, the youth, um, that it was my opportunity to, to try to train and teach them. And so a BYC meeting consisted first of some 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 doctrines of the gospel and let's talk about that and how it applied to them and always felt like we were training the future leaders of the church when, mm -hmm. when we were with them but yeah that high adventures and girls camp and i mean a lot of things in the summer were just regular things that you could count on and uh just time with them just time with them in different ways to go to their games 
to go to their performances, to be involved with their families and some of those things. But when there's a a kid in your ward on a stage and they look out and there's their bishop and his family and they have no other reason to be there but to to watch them, I think that that sends a powerful message yeah. that we care about you. Yeah. And I'm curious to dig in as far as like youth discussion, especially with your teaching background, uh, was it like what format would you recommend in that or how did you handle it? I mean, typically maybe you invite them over to the bishop's house or and then you pick a topic or exactly. So a couple things in our Texas ward, we had a lot of youth. It's surprising to say it this way, but we had you know probably three times the youth in that ward as we had in our ward here in Provo. Hmm. And because of that, what we would do is we would alternate where we would we, where we would have that bishop's youth discussion among the the bishopric and other leaders of our youth. And the topics were usually driven by things that came to my mind in my interviews with our youth. You know, I thought I would be in those interviews and think, wow, we really need to address this, or we should certainly talk about this. I remember in that Texas ward, we had a young boy, kind of a sad story, but an awesome family, and their son at the age of eight died of a brain tumor. Oh, wow. So that Bishop's Youth discussion that month was all about, you know, death and why bad things happen to good people and the plan of salvation. And of course, there's interviews where you where you feel like we really need to talk about uh, some of the church standards and some morality. And mm-hmm. in our in our ward here, we were able to, to do a lot of our bishop youth discussions in our home, uh, and and sometimes we would just change it up a little bit. We did it here at the church a few times. We would do it at some of the counselors' houses at different times, and some of the youth leaders as well. But I think we had most of them at our at our home here. So, nice. and it was as far as the format goes. And this is a this is something Kurt I feel strongly about, but I and I've mentioned it to you, but I we just have to prepare this generation to put the church on their shoulders, yeah, and they need to be the leaders, and uh, and so any youth meeting the youth always conducted, and I would always say let's not stick a youth up there that has no idea how to conduct a meeting. We don't we don't need that. Let's teach them how to conduct a meeting, and then let's put them in front of everybody. And uh, so we really worked on that. So those youth would conduct that meeting. They would conduct the the, the BYC or the BYD anyway, no, mm-hmm. b- or both sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then we always had a message, had some interaction, had some discussion. You always want to make it fun, yeah, uh, and 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 spiritual and doctrinal, and then always refreshments after and. Yeah, it's just a great tradition. Yeah, that's great. And I, you sort of alluded to there, but as far as like youth empowerment, and that's interesting to sort of see as through go to this discussion. You know, you, you, we empower bishops, and hopefully they're empowering Relief Society presidents and, and elders quorum presidents, and we have to empower members to allow these leaders to be empowered. And then youth need to be empowered, right? This isn't just some, um, you know, youth camp that we're just there to have fun, but there's some empowerment because, like you said, we need to put the, the church on their shoulders at some point. Right. Any anything else as far as youth empowerment goes? So here's a here's a great parenting rule, I think, and that is that a parent should never do anything for their child what that child can do for themselves. Mm. And I think the same should apply in our in our leadership as we train the our youth to become leaders. Is that why are we doing things for our youth that they can do? You know, and so we do see too many adult leaders. I've been to several mutuals this summer, you know, Wednesday night activities with our youth. And in so many cases, you know, there's adults that are conducting the youth meeting and that should be a first assistant in the priest quorum or Hmm. uh, a girl from her leadership. And, and uh, anyway, so yeah, we need to, we need to train them. We need to uh, believe in them that they can be leaders and view them as leaders. 
because they are the future of the church. And in three months, in some cases, they're going to be conducting a, a meeting in the mission field. You know, yeah. and they may have never learned how to do that. And so I really believe that strongly that uh, here it is right here that uh, you have to have participation to have conversion. And if they want to get converted deeply to the gospel, they have to be participants. Mm. And so I know in our stake, we've talked about uh, being a little bit worried about our young married couples. Well, too many of our young married couples don't have a lot to do in the church. We're not giving them enough to do. And so, you know, participation leads to conversion. Let's let's give them something to do, right? Yeah. And and help them buy into that and, and, and put some weight on their shoulders a little bit and let them grow and... So, yeah. yeah, so we're really big on that idea of let's let our youth lead. Let's, but we got to train them how to lead first. Yeah, and yeah. I have been in other places where we want the youth to lead, but they have no idea what they're doing. And so we let's let's train them and let's teach them and let's stand beside them, but let's let them run with it. Yeah, and I love the concept of participation and conversion because oftentimes we think, well, you know, and we do. I mean, we need to create space to get them in the scriptures and teach them those doctrinal principles, but we sort of just keep pushing them that way. But maybe call a timeout and say. You need to participate here, but in order for you to participate, we got to walk you through a few steps of how this works, and then that participation really works well with the the instruction, right, and the <laughs> the classes. Exactly. A few years, I'm laughing because I'm thinking of an experience a few years ago where I was so big on this principle, right? We're going to have our youth lead, and and I was called into a teachers' quorum uh, to be an advisor, and we said, okay, guys, we're going to plan the year out. Here we go, and they came up with basketball for every. Every night of the week, yeah, right? I was or, probably in that class. Yeah, <laughs> every every Wednesday night. Yeah, you would have been, you would have loved it. And uh, that's when we had to reel them in and say, "Okay, here's the deal, and let's let's read from the handbook. Let's uh, here's what the program. This is not a club. This is actually a church. Uh -huh. And here there's an actual there's a program for Wednesday night. So here's what it is. Let's you know we taught them and trained them on it. Okay, now let's try it again. Let's let's plan out the year and with with this knowledge now that you have, you know. So yes, that's cool. And mm. just making time for that and and because uh, it's easier to sort of jump in and be like, well, let me just quickly do this for you, or this is what good activities look like, and, and we can't do all basketball, right? It's kind of like letting your son mow your lawn when he's six, you know, and and there's going to be little patches and strips everywhere. But you let him do it, right? And then when he goes in to get a drink, then you go back and, and, and mow it over <laughs> yeah, again. Exactly. But, but he's got to have that shot at mowing it. Awesome. Anything else, a principle or a concept as far as, you know, this empowerment of, of different roles, anything we, we haven't touched on or maybe we've covered it all at this point? You know, I think, I think doctrinally we can roll out a little bit with our youth, uh, the, the significant role that they play in the church. And that I want all the youth in our stake, you know, to know that this church is theirs as much as it's ours, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that there is a history of some pretty incredible youth in Old Testament history, you know, in, in, our, in our church history, in the Book of Mormon. And to get them, to have them connect with those Mormons and Joseph Smiths and Samuels and Davids and, and to elevate them in a way to let them know that at this young age, you have this capacity and there's no question that you have it. And we're here to help you understand it and to learn your identity and who you are right now. You don't have to wait until you're in the mission field or once, you know, once you're home, but right now you have this great capacity and ability at the age of 14 or 15 to lead a group of 10 people. You can do this. You have it. Anyway, it's just, it's just helping them understand that that's true, that yeah. others have done it and you can do it and we're yeah. here to help you do it. Yeah, and I love that, you know, f reflecting on some scriptural examples, uh, or there's also a deep tradition, even I think right now in the 
you know, come follow me. We're in Doctrine and Covenants 89 ish. And, you know, Joseph Smith is like 29, 30 years old. And, and it's like that t- today, that's such a young kid that's running this church and restoring right, a young the single adult. Yeah, basically. exactly. But he's married. Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, and, uh, and just showing that, you know, this, that, that empowers them to see those examples of these were young prophets throughout the scriptures or in our modern days that, that did some remarkable things and that you can do that too. Right. right. Yeah. Um, Amen. So just some random things. Uh, I'm always intrigued to ask a, a stake president as far as like the, the high council, for example. I remember being in a stake presidency and there's this natural thing of like, okay, the handbook says that we're supposed to meet, you know, at these times and I don't really know really what to do with this group, you know, like go to your wards and do your things. You know, one guy's making sure the keys are, you know, the physical keys are getting around to the, all the building, the bishoprics and whatnot. So what's your approach? Like, what would, how would you encourage a, a brand new stake president to utilize the high council? This is really interesting. When I, when we were called, one of the things that I kept, the, the term that I kept using is workhorses. We need workhorses, right? We need some, and the high council that we had 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 been incredible and wonderful and some serious mentors in this stake for mm-hmm. for a, a long time but we knew that we needed to get some younger men on the high council to have some experience so we can start to you know really shaping the leadership in some of the wards and stakes and so um the first thing that i i feel as a stake president is is that we this is not a place to hide or retire but <laughs> to really work and so uh we have a high council of some of the strongest men that I've ever met in my life. And each one is so willing to work and to, and to serve and to help and fully engaged, you know? And so I think here's the analogy that I've always bought into as a bishop is, and it comes from Bronco Mendenhall oh, in nice. his book, Running Into the Wind. But he oh, yeah. talked about, you know, getting the right people on the bus, but then you got to, you got to put the people on the bus in the right seats, you mm-hmm. know? And so we really, we really have tried to do that. And uh, number one, I, you know, I guess if there's an order to things, we have tried to make our, to quote a member of our stake presidency, uh, President Blake, we've tried to make all of our meetings a revelatory experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, I mean, I feel more pressure uh, in our high council meetings than almost anything I do because there's this expectation that it's going to be this outpouring of the spirit, and we're going to get receive a lot of direction, which has been incredible to watch happen. And so anyway, so I I know you're asking a question about how to utilize the high council, but we take the Lavelle Edwards approach, if it's okay okay to quote him, but we, we call the best people we can and get out of their way Hmm. and let them, and let them run with it. We, we help them understand their duties and responsibilities and they just rise up to it. And it's, it's been wonderful and incredible to watch. I, when I interview the bishops and the elders quorum presidents, one of the things I'll ask the bishops is I'll say, tell me how the high councilman in your, the high councilor in your ward is doing. And in every case, it's just, it's, it, they rave about how these men are blessing their ward and um, they attend their meetings. They bring their families and attend meetings. Um, I had one bishop say, yes, this high councilman helped me move. He found out I was moving and he just came over and he by himself helped me move anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really sure, you know, exactly what the formula is, but I know, you know, when the expectation is these men could potentially, you know, be bishops here uh, someday or be called to serve somewhere outside of our stake to do something 
that's going to, to, to weigh heavy on them. We want to, we want to make sure that they're prepared for that. And so we give them a lot of responsibility and, uh, and they have just, it's been one of the great miracles I've been able to see as a stake president is watching them. I was on a high council before and it was a little bit different. There was about four people that did all the work and a lot of people, uh, they had been kind of older in their age and, and, and they worked and they served, but, but it really rested on four or five people to kind of carry the load. And in this case, everyone is bought in yeah. and they're converted to the gospel and they love it and they're passionate about their callings and they are making a difference in the wards they serve in. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. I'm curious to know, um, just especially with your uh, professional work as, you know, in its uh, uh, doctrine and religion department or what's So the, church history and doctrine Church department. history yeah. and doctrine, right? Um, I'm always intrigued on specific doctrines that maybe leaders should really understand clearly or maybe focus on a little bit more during that period of time when they're they're serving in these roles. Any any doctrines or story, scriptural perspectives come to mind? You know, one of the things that you always think of is the atonement, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's the enabling power, it's the redeeming power. And, you know, when we talk about power and strength, I mean, that's that's where it comes from. And so in my mind, any scriptures that teach us about that are the restoration, because you, these are the things that we should be testifying of. And of all people who should know the gospel is true, it's it's the leaders of the stake, you know, uh-huh. and, the, and, the, and the bishops and and the women who serve. Uh, so those kind of those kinds of things, those kind of doctrines, I should say. Um, but also, uh, there are doctrinal teachings that help motivate us and inspire us to be committed, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think those have been important to me to know. I mean, I've, I've loved so much our church history this year as, as we've studied it. Just seeing the sacrifices that people that you know people made as early early saints. You know, my wife and I were just on a tour um, going across the country doing some church history, and it was so incredible to get reconnected to just see how far people walked yeah. to go to a meeting. You know, or Joseph Smith going from you know Palmyra to Harmony or Fayette and so those are important. And then, you know, I would say there's also, I, I'm so motivated by the conferences, you know, by the general conferences. It's such a time for a leader to have their bucket filled. Hmm. But some of the teachings uh, are so helpful and motivational. I, you know, one of the things, Kurt, I've had a great experience with is the Ensign, you know, now the Liahona. But as a bishop, every month as I would read that, I always receive some kind of inspiration of what our ward needed to do. And then, of course, uh, you know, the conference messages. But even just learning the skills of just listening, you know, just just hearing those messages of it's incredible. I mean, the the Lord will guide us and lead us to those to those messages that can really inspire. But I'm and I'm sure everyone's inspired by by different things. I'm reading Elder Oaks's biography right oh, now yeah. that inspires me i'm almost i actually finished it today so i just ordered ordered heber c kimball's oh yeah life i went i mean just just to, to keep being inspired by these faithful dedicated people and and just all that they did it's so humbling because i feel like we pale in comparison to the sacrifices they made but those are the teachings i think that motivate me and then i guess i would have to say leadership wise i'm just always motivated by loving leaders you know mm-hmm. i We've all had experiences in our life, I think, where we've had leaders in our life that maybe weren't so loving. And 
And I know we've made excuses for that sometimes, you know, of, well, that's just how they are. They were in the Navy or, you know, whatever we say. (laughs) But in my mind, you know, the greatest advice I was ever given as a bishop was from another bishop. And I said, what do I do? I don't even know what to do. And he said, you just represent the Savior to the people that in your ward. That's all you have to do. You know, and I think that to learn Christ-like attributes and those Christ-like traits, I mean, that's always a motivation to me to to realize that when I'm sitting at a desk with someone in my stake or or my ward, that we represent the Savior. And I know that's a humbling thing to to think about, but that's that's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm curious, you, you mentioned, you know, general conference and and filling your, your bucket with, with general conference. Any unique approaches you take? Is it mainly just, I mean, are you a note taker during it? Do you sit and sort of just absorb what you can or review later? But any, I mean, what works for you? And not that there's like this, this formula that you figured out, but what works for you? My, my kids laugh at me if, of how serious I take general conference. But <laughs> first of all, as a bishop and now as a stake president, it is just an incredible weekend, as you know, to be with uh-huh. your family and to be immersed in the gospel. But they, they'll laugh because I'll have a table set up with a computer and a, another monitor over here, and, oh, we're, wow. and we're taking notes. And I finally got a little bit away with that, and now I just have a little lap pad as, uh-huh. as I'm taking notes. But I part of that is I teach a living prophets class at BYU. And so I want to be able to walk in Monday morning and, and, and be prepared. But, you know, I had a great teacher. When I joined the church, I was living in East Texas at a, at a smaller university for my first year. And this was in 1980, you know, one or two. But when we went to general, to watch general conference in those days, you went to the branch building and there was a radio sitting on the, the podium, you know, and I remember sitting for, you know, three sessions on Saturday, three sessions or two sessions on Sunday, uh, listening to this radio. And that's, it, it was embedded in my mind of how my friend took me to be part of that. And I thought, wow, I've never listened to a radio for, you know, this many hours in my life, but it really cemented in my mind how important conference was. And so from that time forward, we just have never missed a session. I mean, I think it's the most important thing that we can do in, in our lives. And so our approach as a family is to watch, to watch it together, to watch all the sessions together. Um, this is going to sound really weird to say, but I'm just going to say it because I really <laughs> <Okay>. believe it. <laughs> I love but it. But I've always believed that this that Saturday is for the saints and Sunday is for the world, you know. And I think mm-hmm. there are messages on Saturday that that we just have to hear, you know. And and I, anyway, and so and so. General Conference has been, I, I would say, one of the most powerful influences on our family, yeah. you know, for a long time. And so I, I, we continue to love it. And, yeah. to, and, and, and there's great revelation, you know, as you know, there's great revelation that comes to us yeah. as yeah. a result. You know, I've never really thought about it, but once you say it like Saturday for the saints and Sunday for the world, and it does, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was intentional. Maybe it is. I don't know. But I know those messages can really be, uh, you know, church focused on, on Saturday. And then, you know, you get to talk about the U S constitution on, on a Sunday, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Mark, this has been awesome. Any, any other point principle that we haven't hit on before I, we wrap up here? You know, one of the things that has formed my, you know, my leadership style, I would say is just being around great leaders and having that opportunity, you know, Mm -hmm. and I had a mission president that was one of the greatest leaders I've ever met in my life. And I would describe him as a man of velvet and steel, Mm. you know, and then just having great bishops in our life. And and I've always just paid attention. You know, you just pay attention to these great leaders and, 
and learn enough that you think one day I'm going to be a bishop or a, a stake president. I've never had those, you know, you never want to think that way, but, but to be surrounded by great leaders. I mean, this is a church that develops leaders. Uh, and I love something President McKay said years ago that the real test of any church or religion is the kind of men that it makes. Hmm. And of course we could say in the kind of women that it makes as well, but this church makes incredible leaders and we, we, we learn by watching, we learn by observing, and we see Christ-like leadership all around us, you know. And I, and I would say that I'm really grateful for that. And my experience as a leader has been forged and developed, I would say, by being around some incredible leaders in my life, but also being around some leaders that weren't so incredible. Mm -hmm. And I know we don't talk about things like that in the church, but we've all experienced it. We know what, what that's like to be, with, to be with someone that's not fully engaged or doesn't seem to care as much or is a little rough around the edges, but sometimes you learn how to be a great leader by watching the mistakes of, of others too, you yeah. know, and we're just yeah. observant. But I would say that that uh, overall it has been an incredible experience just watching the Christ-like nature of our leaders. And that has been probably one of the highlights of my life is to watch even our general authorities, our members of the, of the 12 of the First Presidency, how Christ-like and how kind they are. It's yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, well, that's a perfect segue to my final question is, as you've had so many opportunities to serve in leadership roles, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? I love that. You know, um, it's to it's to emulate the Savior in my mind, or in other words, you know, to, to be the leader that we want to be, all we have to do is look at the Savior and study his life and watch how he interacted with others, watch how he edified. We don't talk enough about the Savior's hope and his optimism. And, uh, but, I, but I've learned so much from, from watching him, you know, as, as we read about his life in the scriptures and as we have others share their testimonies of him, we have been given the most incredible model of leadership. And as we follow him as our leader, then great blessings and power and strength flow into our lives. And so I would... I would answer that question by saying that the more I try to follow the Savior and emulate the things that He would do and how He would, how He would lead this stake, the more power I feel, the more strength I feel, the more happiness and hope that I feel as I follow Him. And that concludes this How I Lead interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I would ask you, could you take a minute and drop this link in an email, on social media, in a text, wherever it makes the most sense, and share it with somebody who could relate to this, this experience. And this is how we develop as leaders, just hearing what the other guy's doing, trying some things out, testing, adjusting for your area. And... Uh, that's where great leadership's discovered, right? So we would love to have you uh, share this with uh, somebody in this calling or a related calling, and that would be great. And also, if you know somebody, any type of leader, who would be a fantastic guest on the How I Lead segment, reach out to us. Go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. Maybe send this individual an email letting them know that you're going to be suggesting their name for this interview. We'll reach out to them and... Uh, see if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact, and there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three most popular sessions of the Liberating Saints Library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.